This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Larry Emder, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you for having me. I can't believe I'm saying this. It's super exciting. I mean, we have so many wonderful authors uh, in here, but we haven't had a TV personality for some time, I think. All right. Well, hopefully you get one soon. Yeah, well, that's (laughs) you. (laughs) Larry, for those who don't know, is Australia's most popular and enduring TV personalities. Well, actually, you've been going probably all of my life, I've known. Right. Yeah, I've known about you. So there you go. Grew up with you, really. Uh, He began his TV (laughs) career when he was 19 at Seven Nightly News. Since 2007, he has been a host of The Morning Show, one of Australia's top-rated morning TV shows, alongside his co-host, Kylie Gillies. He has also been the host of game shows, The Price is Right and The Chase Australia. This is his first book. It is a memoir. It's called Happy As, in which Larry tells the nostalgic and very funny stories from being a kid growing up in Bondi in the 70s and 80s. It was such a unique time there, wasn't it? It really was. Yeah. And I don't think we thought it was unique until now. Yeah. Until looking back and going, what's family time supposed to look like? What's What's... What's time as a kid supposed to look like before you had a device in your hand when you were five years old? Yeah. And so was us? it like mine? Like I grew up in Glebe. Yeah. And and I, we would have been then. And can I just tell you this? Growing up in Glebe, there was only one worse thing than growing up in Glebe at that mm. time was growing up in Balmain. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> right. right. I used to think, oh, lucky I'm not from Balmain. <laughs> right. But it was we just leave in the morning in summer and mm. come back in the evening. Did you do that? Well, because I grew up in Bondi. so yeah. And that's what this story is about. That's what the, 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 the book is about, that we'd get up in the morning and we'd yeah. roll down the hill to the beach. Yeah. And that was it. So I guess we were lucky like that. I feel lucky that yeah. that was my childhood and that they are my stories. Yeah. And I know that from a lot of other people who didn't live in Bondi. Like, okay, so we're, we, we get up on a Saturday morning and we catch two trains and two buses to get to Bondi. So mm. on reflection, this is all like, I'm, gl- I'm so lucky that I grew up at the beach. Mm. Um, but it was different. It was like Lee back then. It was working class. Yeah. Oh, abso- absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. The sort of the early set, the, the, the people, the European culture that was in early at Bondi, they had no desire for the beach and the views and everything like that. So the housing wasn't complex or expensive at all. We, mm. The houses we lived in, we lived in three around Bondi and they were, they were Mm-hmm. They weren't great houses, but it, it was a great location. It was. And it took a long time for Bondi to be gentrified, didn't it? It really has yes. always had that kind of seedy aspect before yeah. it became the value that it is now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. There's, there's a lot about it in the book actually about me growing up and about Bondi growing up as well. Yeah. And there was the 
the last of the noisy places in Bondi was the Astra Hotel, and it was mm-hmm. you know the, the the Maoris would brawl with the bikies, and the, and it was constant sirens, and it was always a mess, and it was mm-hmm. a part of Bondi that you always you'd take a mm-hmm. wide berth, you wouldn't go anywhere near there, mm-hmm. and then when sort of that shut down, and it became a over fifty five. Uh, village of all things, um, what a what a juxtaposition! But uh, once that closed down, then Bondi did start to grow up, and you yeah. could go out at night and walk around the streets happily, and not have to worry about you know not going anywhere near South Bondi. And mm-hmm. nicer cars started to appear, mm-hmm. and you could you could stay out at restaurants later and mm-hmm. stuff. And it, and it was a very notable change. And looking back, as I had to in the book, you could see the the tide turning. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, around mm. Bondi at that time. I'm going to tell you a funny story. So my parents were immigrants to this mm. country and I've told this story on the podcast before, but it is relevant. My father loved the beach and he used to often take us to Coogee Beach. Right. And we learned to swim just by him throwing us in the water. <laughs> yes, right? a lot of kids did that's right. <laughs> right, we all yes. did. And that was really just such a beautiful experience. But one night um, my mother took us to Best and Less and five girls and one boy. Anyway, she bought us these bikinis and they for two ninety five. I remember the price. <laughs> Tag. And they had the little, you know, hoop uh, there that, that held the top together. And mine was left behind at the store, right? We were, right. And, you know, I'm talking five, six, seven, right. something like that. Right. And we lived at that time, we lived on top of a butcher, you know. Right. One room, one bathroom. Wow. Not, not wow. one bedroom, one yeah. room, one bathroom. Wow early days. And my mother said, okay, everybody get their swimmers on, their cozies on, she would have called them. Uh, We're going to practice swimming. Mm -hmm. Now, mine was left behind, so I had to get into my knickers and my singlet, but everybody changed into their costume. And I'm telling you, I have a... The water's not there, but it feels like the water was there and we were swimming up and down this room. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Up and down the room? Yeah. Right. Yeah. As if we were at the beach. Is that right? Just to teach you how to swim? Well, I think it's the magic of storytelling yeah. of what she she yes. just pretended we were in. We were, you were there. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that and extraordinary? How, it is extraordinary and how beautiful that you remember it all yeah. that time. And I can tell there's a sparkle in your eyes. Yeah. So it's there's something special about those times. Mm. You know. And, and there is something special about water, isn't there? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it was it's played such a huge part in my life, in our whole family's life. Like mm. so many of these stories about the kiddies pool at North Bondi and then graduating yeah. to the other side of the wall of the kids pool into the little part of the surf and then mm-hmm. growing up to the big part of the surf. So my life actually uh, can be mapped along Bondi Beach. Yeah. You know, started, well, you've got a map in the book, haven't there's you? A, yes. And I, 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 when, when, when we first started talking about I, I said that to uh, the HarperCollins people. Yeah. I said, let's go for a map because most of these stories happen within one or two kilometres. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's life according to Larry in this tiny mm-hmm. little mm-hmm. village. There's the pizza shop. There's the pinball machine. Mm-hmm. That's where I started swimming. That's where I started surfing. That's where mm-hmm. I had my 21st birthday party. It's all there. Mm-hmm. And once I, once we compiled all the stories, it was like, my gosh, my whole life mm-hmm. has been on Bondi Bay, mm-hmm. on the promenade or 500 metres back from the promenade. Mm-hmm. So I love the map in that. I love what they've done with yeah, the map. Yeah, no, it's really nice. Mm-hmm. When you when you think about, when you reflect and, and uh, think about growing up, do you think, and for me, I never wished for anything because I actually thought back then that everybody had what I had. Yeah. You know, did you just think that this is my life and I don't wish to be anywhere else? Yes, yeah. Yes, and I wanted that to last forever. Yeah. I wanted yeah, it to yeah. last forever. Yeah, because they were good childhoods, weren't they? Absolutely. And my first job, all I wanted to do, um, I wanted to get this job working overnight. 
Yeah. So I could just be at the beach just like I was when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and I never wanted it to end. Mm. Uh, and that's the book, you know, Long Summers. I thought in... your first job was a paper boy. Oh, well, that was the first job. <laughs> My first proper job was working overnight at the Sun <laughs> newspaper. Right. But, yeah, that's right, the paper, paper round, again, mm. round the streets of Bondi mm. and uh, on the, blowing the whistles every Sunday mm. morning and being abused by people mm. for blowing the whistle too loudly, mm. delivering the newspapers and running upstairs and mm. uh, all around Bondi. And that's where I, you know, I, and I knew all those streets and all the, the alleyways and in between the buildings mm. and up and down the, mm. up and down, I knew every building. So why is it that you decided now to, to write your memoir? You know, I mean, you've had such a stellar career and we'll go back and talk about that but I mean I often I'm mean, not that I'm a writer and nobody would be interested in my memoir <laughs> but I always wonder at what point do you write that if you're going to what were the yeah, triggers it's, for it's you? a really good it's a really yeah. good question because I was kicked out of school very early mm-hmm. and not being able to write mm-hmm. and not being able to read or add up or do anything so it has never been on my radar mm-hmm. I didn't think I could do it mm-hmm. And I can tell a story on TV, mm. and I can talk on TV or on the radio, but I didn't. I knew I couldn't write it, language and Larry, you know, no. Mm. So it was not on my radar until a couple of years ago, and I thought, I'm coming up to forty years in the business, which is this year. Yeah, well, congratulations. Thank you. I'm busier than ever with the morning show and the chase. Mm. I've never had two big shows at once. Maybe it was a bit of COVID sort of lockdown. Maybe it was mm, a bit of reflection. Reflection and and during COVID, I found, I, you know, I was looking back at old photos and I, did, I just something happened with the nostalgia thing, mm. and it was making me happy. It was making mm. me smile, mm. and I think we had a lot to be um, uh, sad about during COVID. And I was on the not the front line of that by any means, but I was the guy, one of the people delivering the news every morning. Mm. Today, the COVID numbers are this. Lying on you. Overnight, we've had this many mm. deaths. Here's the Premier of New South Wales. Mm. Here's the Premier of Victoria. More deaths expected tomorrow. Second wave. And I was, I, I, I was, I, I would go home so broken mm. and upset. It's not mm. the news I ever wanted to deliver. It's not the job I ever wanted to do. Mm. And then I was somehow getting pleasure from these little photos and finding things for Instagram and just trying to lighten things up. Lighten things up. Yeah. Which is what I've always tried to do in my career. And then I thought um, one of my bosses at work said, 40 years, you've got to write a book, right? And I thought, well, no, maybe. And then I do a lot of keynote speaking and mm. emceeing. And so I've got a lot of t- funny TV stories top of mind, mm. all the prices Right bloopers and um, all the game show silly stuff. But it was the nostalgia stuff that started to stick. Mm. And I'd put up a, a picture of me as a baby at Bondi Beach on Instagram and the flood of comments and engagement. And then I'd put up a few other silly photos over the next few weeks and I'd put another nostalgic picture up of my little family and stuff like that. Mm. The likes and the comments. and That was like us. We used to do that. Mm. We, the, you remind me of my little brother, your naughty mm. little thing. And I thought oh, people are mm. more than ever looking back mm. and going, that was a nicer time. Sick of COVID. I'm sick of this news. Is it ever going to end? What's the way out? We can't see a way forward. And I was looking back, mm-hmm. and I thought, "There's a, there's a book. Mm-hmm. It's not the book I was going to write originally. It was silly TV stories and my 40 years in TV. But I found the nostalgic pieces in there are much better to write. You know, I loved telling the stories. Well, they're more historical too, more, because and, and people, what they are is a snapshot of the time. Yeah, yeah. And while I thought. Would anyone really be interested in that? Mm. And I didn't know until I started sending a few pieces out to friends and family. And then I found a few people, independent people as well, 
Cause, Real samples. Yeah, because family were going, oh, that's great. Yeah. And friends were going, ah, that's all right. Um, th- there's a story, my, one of my favourite stories about this watch, actually, mm. um, and about how my father got it for his, tw- my late father got it for his 21st birthday. Then I accidentally, completely accidentally found it on my 21st birthday. He wasn't wearing wow. it. He hadn't worn it for years and years. Yeah. He'd lost track of it. He didn't know it existed. He'd moved on to his fancy watches. Yeah. I found it on my 21st birthday at the back of his sock drawer looking for a pair of socks. And then I put it on. I never took it off. And the day my son was born, I remember sitting there thinking, like I sat in the waiting room. I remember this moment, like now. And I sat in the waiting room, collapsed. We'd all had a you know, crazy few days, not, not more so than my wife and my son. But I sat there. I put my hand over the watch like I always did when I needed its magic. And I thought, do I have to give this watch to that boy who's just been born in 21 years on this day? Mm. And it was such a moving moment. And I thought, that's weird that I'm sitting here crying. Mm. Of all the things for me to worry about right now, I'm worried do I have to give that <laughs> screaming little poo machine this watch? And that's a very, very, very special chapter in this book for me. If nothing else happens, mm. I, I'm so glad I've put that those words on, in print. I'm mm. so glad that's out there now, for, for mainly for my family. But mm. when people started to see that, the reactions were all the same, but of different tokens, of different things. So everyone would come back, yeah, that reminds me, my, my grandmother gave me this locket or my, my, I have my mother's purse or my something, and then I want to give that to my daughter. You know, like everyone has a story about like that. So then I knew I was onto, onto something because they, they're, they're so relatable. I thought they were deeply, deeply personal mm. and would only affect me. But turns out a lot of those things, those historic moments and those historic events and things, mm. uh, people cling on to. So when you decided to write, you, okay, you've made up your mind, you're going to write yeah. your memoir, how did you approach it? Because, you know, that's not an easy process. No. Either. Well, especially when you can't write. Well, I don't agree with that, but yeah, okay. Let's but I, so what I did, we have a um, we have a small shack up on the river, mm-hmm. up near the Hawkesbury, mm-hmm. and uh, it's where I need to go to get away from TV and, the, you know, I just go there and I tune yeah. out completely. Yeah. And I thought if it's going to happen, it's going to happen now. And this was at Christmas mm-hmm. and I took the laptop. I'd done a couple of little test stories so I knew what I wanted, how I wanted it to be. And I set up a little trestle table outside on the balcony and every morning, I thought, right, I've got a month to do it because in a month I go back to work. Mm-hmm. So I have a. That's not a long time. Not a long time. No. But I thought once I come back in mm-hmm. January to the morning show and the chase, my t- I don't have time. Mm-hmm. I've got one or two days clear a week. And those days I'm usually in a coma because I've done four days of the chase mm-hmm. and five days of the morning show in the same week. And I'm, you know, I, I can't think about anything. So I gave myself that month and I thought, I've got to do this now. I permanently set up this table outside and I just moved the laptop inside at night and bring it back out. At four o'clock every morning, I'd wake up, go outside in the dark, but it was undercover. So it was, you know, some days out there pouring rain, but it was beautiful. Yeah. I'd get a cup of coffee and I'd just sit there and I'd, so what I'd do, I'd, the night before I, when I was going to bed, I thought of the story I wanted to write tomorrow, Mm -hmm. just vaguely. Mm -hmm. So tomorrow I want to tell the story about the watch or the boat. Then I'd just sort of fall asleep with that. And I'd get up in the morning, I'd sit there at four o'clock in the morning, have a cup of coffee, and then I'd just close my eyes and I'd sort of, I'd make it a movie in my head. Mm-hmm. I'd see the story. Oh, wow. Like a little, like a little yeah. show. Mm-hmm. And then I'd start writing with my two fingers on my mm-hmm. laptop outside. Mm-hmm. 
And from four o'clock till nine o'clock in the morning, I just write, 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 just get it all out of my head. Then I'd just go for a swim or something like that and come back uh, and look at what I'd written Mm. and then start sort of massaging that. And sometimes it was okay. You know, sometimes it was close enough to send off to an editor for some tweaking Mm. and other times it was just a blubbering mess. Mm. And so did it just come out, like the story, the movie that you had in your head? Yeah. It would just come out and you would type it as... As you imagined it. As I, I imagined it. It's a really nice way to approach writing. Yeah, and I, I could because like I think that. I think because of my maybe my history in television. Yeah, it's more of I'm more of a visual guy. Maybe well, I you're don't a know. storyteller. You're an yeah. orator. Yeah. I think. Um, I want to touch on something that uh, I thought was really profound was the morning show and the Lint Cafe, because when you think of Larry. <laughs> Emda, you think of light-hearted stuff. Yeah. You don't think of serious news, as you say, yeah. and it's not something that you wanted to do. I think of The Price is Right. You think mm. of, you know, the morning show. But by chance, you ended up reporting on a very serious mm. story. How was that? How was that moment? Um, it, it was horrendous. Yeah. It was horrendous. I, yeah. was, I was looking... I've got goosebumps. Yeah, already. I was looking across Martin. I was looking out the studio window into the window of Lynn Cafe. Mm with uh, a woman and a guy with their faces pushed up against the window of Lynn Cafe. Mm. We didn't know what was going on. There was just police everywhere. And you would not imagine it in Australia. No, no, not for no. a moment. And Goosebumps talking to yeah. you now. So we, our studio in Martin Place, if you've ever watched the show, you can see all mm. sunrise even. You can see that we're on Martin Place. Mm. It's a fishbowl. Mm. We're looking right out over Martin Place and people can see in and see out. And I was just, we, we were waiting for an interview, waiting to do an interview and I looked out the window and I saw two men jump off, scream around the corner on push bikes, jump off their push bikes and pull guns out. They didn't, I didn't realise they were cops, they were cops, um, but I didn't realise that. I just saw these two guys with guns um, running from our window to Lint Cafe. And the camera crew, someone had yelled it out to the camera crew, the cameras had spun around and we all saw something happening and we didn't know what. Mm. And there are police everywhere then, sirens and the whole thing. And we're looking out the window and we're trying to report on it because we're live on TV, but there was no information. So all we're reporting on is the police coming from everywhere. We don't know if it's a hold-up or Mm. this. And then I looked across into Lynn Cafe. You could see that was where whatever was happening was happening. And I saw the uh, the lady's face pushed up against the window Um, and then a guy's face pushed up against the window. You could see their eyes. I could see their eyes. I remember their eyes. And it was uh, it was horrible. It was uh, horrible. For those uh, for listening, because we've got some overseas listeners, it was a siege. A, a guy took a cafe hostage, I guess, yep. um, and there were quite a few people in there, and yep. people died. He executed died. some, and yeah. he executed some, and he was he, he was. I mean, mm. I can't really even talk about it, but. Mm. Um, it was a, a horrible scene. So you reported on it that day because it went for days, didn't it? Yes. So look, I mean, it's it's you know I need to say we yeah. weren't the lead reporters on no, it. Of it, it happened. You were there, and then though. we were there, and yeah. we were uh, Kylie and I were trying to make sense of what we could mm. see. We were merely reporting what we could see, mm-hmm. which. In hindsight, some of it was right and some of it was we, – we were just talking mm. visuals. Mm. Like there are more police coming from everywhere. There's the undercut. Here comes the SWAT. You know, so mm. we weren't talking detail. And then 
within a relatively short space of time, obviously the fabulous news team at Seven moved into place. Mm. We had the newsreader in place. We had cameras everywhere. And then, you know, obviously the morning show, we moved out mm. and left it up to the serious news gatherers. And they mm. did a, an award-winning job, actually. Um, so we weren't there for days reporting on it. And mm. we, we were there till <clears throat> the serious news people arrived. But it was enough to... Mm. To say we were, you know, it was reported on CNN, it was well, reported all over the world that, that our, our coverage, yeah, yeah, we were the eyewitnesses to it. And yeah. while we couldn't see him yeah. inside, um, you could certainly see, you know, the panic mm. and the chaos, the confusion, mm. the sadness, you know, that there was just mm. terrible, terrible. Mm. No one knew it was going on, but you could just see that it was automatically, it was life, life and death, whatever mm. was happening behind the glass. Mm. And oh, hundreds of police and mm. the, the, the sharpshooters, the snipers moved into our studio um, because that's the cl- that was the clearest shot. So we mm. had heavily armed police swarm our area, and we didn't know at the time there was rumours that there were um, that there were more of them. There were accomplices. That it was a it was um, um, there were there were op- a bomb in the opera house was one quick rumour, mm. and police helicopters everywhere. So we were all evacuated um, by SWAT guys to the building next door and taken to an empty office building. It was quite surreal mm. yeah, and a horrible really place to be. Out. It stood out because, you know, obviously that, you know, you're not on 60 Minutes and no. that's they're not the stories that you report on. No. But, yeah, quite extraordinary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So you've decided to write your memoir. Um, You've taken four weeks off. Is writing a memoir like writing a CV where you put down everything and then when you reflect on it, when you walk away from that CV and you go and make a coffee and you sit down and you think, I'll come back and make those corrections, and then you think, wow, I've done a lot in my life. Uh, yes, yes. Do you think it, that? Was, it was a lot like that. It was a lot like that. And that was um, joyous and eye-opening at the same time because I realised I, I, in this book – I've been the most axed man in television. Yeah. I've had more jobs than anyone else on really? diff- on more more networks than anybody else. But the most axed. I've... The most a- well, the one one equals the other. Like to yes. say I've had the most jobs yes. also means I've lost the most jobs. Yeah, okay. I didn't so while on, that way. Yeah. so on one hand, I'm like, wow, I've had all these jobs. On the other hand, it's yeah, because you've been axed from all of the other ones as you go. So which That's I, half glass full, full half glass empty. Well, right? you know, I wear I wear it proudly because, yeah. and I yeah. said to Kyle on the morning show today when we were talking about the book, I wear all that proudly because all of those failings of 
managed somehow to keep the train on the tracks. But all of that equals this. And all of that means I can sit on the morning show couch um, having hosted all these different shows and all that experience pays off every day that, yeah. I, can, that I can do my job. Over through your career, because, you know, I think you've always had an impeccable reputation. It's never been smeared. And um, I think we said this before we started the podcast. There were people I knew, you know, who knew you, knew you or mm. knew of you or whatever it was. But every time I hear your name, it's just like, he's such a nice guy. He's such a great guy to work with. It's, that's all I've oh, ever that's heard. Very and sweet. I, honestly, I've never heard anything negative. But, you know, as you said yourself, you left school, you weren't reading, you weren't writing. Yeah. And, you know, you started off as, was it a journalist? Did you? No, as a copy boy. As a copy boy. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's not an illiterate job. Well, copy boy was. Well, copy boy was emptying ashtrays and uh, um, okay. washing coffee cups. Right. So, but you're right. Like a lot of people start that yeah. with a view to be a journalist. Be a journalist. Or a, or so a I was presenter. surrounded by young kids, my, yeah. well, my age, um, who were very bright yeah. and who had taken this path mm. to journalism. And it was an mm. off travelled path. It was the way to go. But, and they, in fact, some of them were older than me. Some of them had done their uni degree and they were now coming back to start at the very bottom mm. um, in publishing and in newspapers. So, but that wasn't for me. That's not why I joined. Why did you and join? Because I, I wanted to surf during the day. Right. I wanted yeah. to work, I wanted the easiest job I could do overnight. Yeah. So it was either this copy boy job, the other job that I was looking at was a Garbo. Right, yeah, Because yeah. my mate was a Garbo. Yeah. He'd get up at four o'clock, he'd finish at 9am, then he'd go surfing all day. And I thought, that's cool. Yeah, That's yeah. all I wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. So I was this copy boy, but I was surrounded by ambitious journalistic types. And I, I loved them. They were amazing. They were great friends. Mm. But it wasn't for me. But it must have somehow... <laughs> it leaked, mm. <laughs> leaked onto me somehow. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Talk to me about your first job. Then, when did you? At what point did you realise maybe this <coughs> is for me? The the path was the, the I was the, I was working overnight. I was a copy boy overnight. It was a particularly laid back job. Mm. And well, maybe the day shift might have been different. The day shift was very different, but the <laughs> yeah. night shift. And yeah. I mean, it could be chaotic. Yeah. You know, on some nights there's a big fire there, yeah. and there's a shooting there, and there's an armed hold up there, and it's chaos mm. in the police rounds, which is mm. where I was working. But other times, we'd go for days where there's actually nothing happening. Mm. It was kind of fun. And we'd all just sit around and talk. Mm. But the other copy boys would write, rewrite stories from the newspaper for their local paper just as a test. Yeah. And one night, one of the journos came in and said, aren't you from Bondi to me? I said, yeah, I am. And he goes, here's a story about the Bondi crime. You should rewrite this for your local paper because that's what everyone does. And I said, no, I don't want to, I'm not, I don't want to be a journalist. He said, Guy, what are you doing? There's nothing happening. So do so I rewrote this story. And on my way home, I knew where the Bondi Spectator office was. Now, there's Bondi Spectator, it's still around today, but it was um, a very ordinary bit of work. It was mm. it was the bowl the winners of the bowling mm. and it was some real estate local notes. News. L- local yeah. local yeah. news, but not much news, a bit of council yeah. notes and what's on in council. And I slipped a story under their door with a note saying, Dear editor, my name's Larry Emder. I'm interested in getting into journalism. Uh, could you please let me know what you think of this? I'd appreciate that. And slipped it under the door and didn't hear back for a week or something. And then I was I was asleep at five o'clock at night because I'd go to work at night. So I was asleep and mum came in and woke me up and said, is this you? Is this you? <laughs> I don't think I'd even mentioned it to mum and dad that yeah. I'd done this because I didn't expect it to be in the paper. It was, it was yeah. just for him to say, oh, good, don't do that. Don't say, watch yeah. your punctuation, this sort of. And I woke up and it was in the paper. Bondi Crime Plague by Larry uh, Ed Muir, I think. Uh, right. um, <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's cool. I'm famous. Yeah. That's unreal. So I wrote a column for them and slipped it under the door every week for a year. I wow. never met the guy. 
I never asked for money. I never, because I was a kid. So I didn't want him to see that I was a kid. So I would just kept giving them stories. No, never, never a cent, never a cent. Right. And then towards the end of maybe a year, I'd made a call and I'd gone in to meet the guy. But I was, you know, very nervous. And yeah. um, But now I had a scrapbook full of newspaper right. articles. Yeah. So now I could say I was a journalist. Yeah. And I, I used that, that as my story. call. I used that as my calling card. Yeah, yeah. So, but it was story. all all the stories were just stolen from the City Morning Herald and the Sun. Yeah. So it just goes to show um, that really, if you want to do something, you can do mm. it, doesn't it? Yeah. You know. And I don't think I st- even then I don't remember being an ambitious journalist. I think even then it was just a fun thing to do. Yeah. The paper was coming out. My grandparents would see me in the Spectator. My mum and dad would see me in the mm. Spectator. Mm. Um, no photo or anything, just my name. But that was enough. M does a, a, a strange enough name, a yeah. unique enough name for everyone in the Emda family to mm. be get a kick out of seeing that. Mm. So I think I, I still don't remember being, I want to be a journalist and, mm. I, you know, certainly I want to be on TV. There was none of that then. Mm. I, I, don't I didn't that. have that either, actually. I, I didn't. And I think things were different then for us because we were working. There was a desire for us to work. At an early age. Like, we mm. just work. I, I can't remember not working. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. yeah. And you'd be the same, wouldn't you? Yeah, There absolutely. was the expectation to go and work. There was no such thing as gap year. There was no, no, no nothing no, like that. No, we didn't it? have money. We didn't have yeah, money for a gap right. year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So it was, I mean, I went to, and sorry, I, that said, I, I, I did go to, I'd got a URL pass. I got the cheapest airfare I could. I went, but I oh, think I was away that. for a yeah. few months. But yeah. it was none of that, none of the big, you know, the yeah. gap year thing. I worked in a supermarket for Thursday nights and Saturday morning, right. which a lot of people would have done. And then I finished school and the store manager asked me to work full time. This was after year 12. And I said, all right, I'll work, you know, full time in the holidays. And then when the holidays finished, I said, oh, that's it, I'm off. He said, no, 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 we want you to work full time. Yeah. And I said, oh, no, no, no. Anyway, I walked home and by the time I got home, he called called my mother and uh, she said to me, uh, were you offered a full-time job today? Uh-huh. And I said, yeah, yeah, I was, but I'm not going to take it. I said, it's not where I see myself in life. And she said, well, you go back there until you find out where you How see funny. yourself in life. How but funny. that's what it was like, yeah. wasn't it? You yeah. had to work. Yep, yep. And parents yeah. parents had the answer to everything yeah, as well. that's right. You did. And, and I then... did. I went back and I had yeah. to work, so I found something quick, smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. And once you had the taste for a few bucks as well. Like oh, that was, wasn't that yeah, nice? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I love my, that. <laughs> I found my first pay slip when we were clearing up the house and I don't know why I kept it, but I'm so glad I did. It was $89 for the week. Cash that in was, an envelope. Cash in an envelope. Yeah, a yellow working, one. We were working overnight. Yeah. So I was getting just over $2 an hour wow, to work overnight. that's great. But I was so happy. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I was great. so happy. I was yeah, working yeah. overnight. Yeah. I had 89, 89 bucks a week mm. and I was surfing and living in – like it was mm. great. You were earning more money than me because I think I was getting $33. Wow. And I would open yeah. that envelope. I'd be so happy yeah, about that yeah, money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very different now. So you decide to write a book but also um, there is another process here of how you get a book published. Yes. And how did you find yes. – well, well, one, how did that come about and how did you find the process? Well, chicken and egg. So yeah. um, my, my manager who I – talk to about the book. So my boss at work said, why don't you, you know, maybe you should do this. And then my manager said, you know, sure you can do this. I'm like, yeah. okay, well, I'm glad you both think I can <laughs> yeah. because I write with two fingers and yeah. I, I've never read a book in my life, but I'm yeah. glad you two ladies think this yeah. is possible. Um, so my manager then, you know, got the deal together with HarperCollins and that's that's when I thought, okay, now I've got that month, now I've got to yeah. do it, now I've got to do Pressure's it. Pressure's on. So 
But that was exciting feedback too because they'd yeah. seen the watch story. I'd sent a couple of stories and that was enough for them to think that maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe this was possible. It was Helen Littleton, wasn't yes, it? Yes, Did was. she publish it? Yeah, she's yeah. wonderful. She's a great storyteller herself. So tell me how the title came about. This I, I love this. You'll re- if you read the book, you'll read a lot about my oldest and dearest mate, Robbie. Mm. And gee, we had some fun growing up. Mm. And I think everyone's got an oldest and dearest mate. Mm. And he knows, like, we, we've drifted in and out of our friendship. And there's there's another, there's other best mates, yeah. you know, in the book. But he's my oldest and dearest, dearest mm. friend. And we've been at school. We were at school when we were five years old. Yeah, and we've well. been we've spoken to each other a few times a week, every week of our lives since. And we're now yeah, fifty eight. Wow. And he's a lovely guy, but he's he never he only watches TV to watch the footy. Yeah. So he doesn't know what I do. He he thinks I work on Channel Nine at Sailor the Century. He doesn't. He's never seen the morning show. He's never he seen gets the you chase. Mixed up with Tony he, Barber. He's never seen the prices right. He, he would have no idea. Honestly, right. he goes to work at three or four in the morning. He's in food importing, and he comes home at you know six or seven at night, and he's never seen me on TV. Mm. But we speak all the time. Yeah. And I uh, he said, "What do you do?" I, we're just one, on one of our phone calls. I said, what are you doing? He said, what are you doing? I said, uh, I'm writing a book. And he laughed, like laughed out loud. He said, you're writing a book? You've never read a book in your life. Yeah. He said, I've been with you all your life. You've never read a book. Yeah. And I said, uh, no, that's 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 uh, that's true. And he said, what's it about? And I said, it's about us. It's about us growing up. And it's about um, before Apple iPhones and iPads and kids playing games from five years old. And it's about family and it's about Bondi and it's about happiness and warmth and all that. And he said, um, wow. He said, what are, you, what are you calling it? I said, I don't know. We're, I'm talking to the publisher and we're throwing a few things around. And he said, there's only one name for it. Now, he's not a book guy. He's mm. not a book guy. And he's not, uh, and he wouldn't even mind me saying this. He's not a creative guy. He's one of the greatest food importers in the country, mm. but he's not, he's not a book <laughs> yeah. reader. He's not an art guy. You know, he's just not. And he said, he said, what are you calling it? I said, I don't know. And he said, there's only one name. And I said, what? He said, happy as. Yeah. And I said, I went, oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. I said, why would you call it that? And he said, from the first day I met you in the playground at Rose Bay Public School when we were five years old, mm. he said, you were smiling and you've always been the happy, smiley, cheeky kid. He said, mm. don't forget cheeky, but you've always been that. And I, I thought, that's pretty good. Yeah. It's, it's funny because it's so obvious that yeah. no one had thought of it. Well, do you know, because when I picked it up and mm. saw Happy As, I thought, oh, yeah, that's the reputation <laughs> that guy has. <laughs> I knew that of you, right. you know, in a way before I even picked up the book yeah. because of what I'd, I'd heard about you. So I emailed it to Helen at HarperCollins yeah. and I just said, is that the weirdest chat with my best mate, my oldest and dearest mate who you've read about in the book, Helen? And he reckons it should be called Happy As because, and this is why, and what I just told you. And her email was like, like that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. OMG. Wow. And yeah. I love the title of the book, but I love it that my oldest and mm. dearest mate mm. has played such an important part mm. in the book. Mm. I Like, I love that. Mm. He's mentioned all through the book, mm. but the fact that he has named my book mm. is so, so special to me. I agree. I think that's lovely. Now, I just want to ask, as I said, I, I probably have no need to write a memoir, but if I were to write a memoir, I would be so worried about what people thought, people I knew, yep. right? Like your friend, like, you yep. know, your wife, like your children, like your mummy. 100%. You know, I come from a family of six and we all have different memories of growing up. Yes. You know, we all have different memories of that incident where we're swimming in the house, you 100, know. 100%. So were you nervous about yes. that? 
Yes. And on the front, it's important, just inside the cover there, it says, warning, this yeah, book I may contain that. some facts, asterisks, may not. May not, um, yeah. This is really interesting. Mm. And I'm so glad you asked because it is perspective and it's memories, mm. right? Now, do I remember everything that happened to me 52 years ago? Yeah, I don't. Mm. But I remember the big things. And then the rest is some nice storytelling. But I, I think they're all right. I reached out to quite a lot of people to check these stories. but Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. But here's the interesting thing. My sisters and I are very, very close. Yeah. And I've written a lot of stuff in there about my late father. Mm. And my sister, Nikki, a very, very bright psychologist, mm. very, very clever lady with a beautiful memory, mm. said, I don't remember Dad ever saying that. And I said, Nikki, you weren't with him. That was our time. We were on the boat fishing. That was the boy to, like, you were never there. Mm. So for dad and I to have these conversations and to listen to that music and talk about things like, and eat pies, which is a lovely part for me in the book, you actually weren't there. Mm. So, and, and then dad used to say to me, be nice to everybody, which is a part of this story. And Nikki said, dad never said that to me. And I said, I'll tell you why, because I was asking him for career advice. You, you studied you went to university. You would never have said to dad these words, dad, I've got a problem at work. What should I do? Because mm. because you would never have had that. And Martine's an artist, so she's never had an employee. But I, I love her work. Yeah. Can I just say I have been following yeah. that that, art, that Martine's work for some years yeah. and I could just kick myself for not having it brought <laughs> sooner. That's but right. it's beautiful. It is beautiful. And you'll see a lot of the same... You know what? My story is about all growing up in Bondi, mm. and that's what her paintings are as They're well. They're beautiful. And they are beautiful. And it's all the same waterways. It's me mm. talking about the kids' pool, and her paintings are around mm. the rock pool. And mm. it's a, she's a beautiful storyteller throughout, and she's a beautiful mm. artist. So Nikki would say, I don't remember that. And I said, but I went to Dad, and I said, Dad, I'm having a problem at work with the boss. What should I do? Mm. And he said, just be nice to everybody. Just always be nice to everyone. Then no one can have a problem. Mm. And I said, you would never have asked him for that. And then the stories about the watch, like you wouldn't know that because mm. that was for dad and for me, you know, that was, that I was really my like story. I like that answer, Larry. Yeah. I really do. Because we, we have arguments about that. Oh yeah. Well, m- mum would have loved that. And I think, really? Would mum really have loved yeah. that? Yeah. But you're right. We all have different relationships Completely with different. our parents. And I had my, I have Nikki, my yeah. oldest and Marty, I'm in, stuck in the middle. Yes. And, <laughs> I and, quite like that. Actually. Yeah. And, and our our man time, mm. our father-son time was so, so special. Mm. And, and we, different to And different. Yeah. Mum was with, and it was traditional, you know, it was traditional, probably not right now in yeah. 2022, but yeah. mum went and did the physical culture with the girls in the ballet and dad and I would go fishing and to the beach and, and when he was sick and dying, um, we would take these long drives where he was looking for a, a van, a cabin by the river. Mm. Um, and that's one of my favourite stories in there. But that was very specific Dave, Larry time. Mm. And mm. the girls would have had different beautiful times with him, mm. but the conversations would have been different. Mm. Like oh, they would have totally. been with... That l- makes sense yeah. to me. Mm. That really makes sense to me. Yeah. yeah. And they agree. You know, when I said that to Nick, she went, I, I, I guess that's right. She mm. wasn't on the boat. She was with her friends at the beach doing... Mm. With her girlfriends at the beach. And I was with my dad on the boat mm. eating pies and fishing. Mm. So it was a very different conversation, a different relationship. Were you worried about your kids reading the book? I mean, there are some things in there. You know, there are some things yeah. in there, but they're grown up now. Yeah. You know, I don't think there's anything too horrible in there. Mm. And I think 
what I look at now and go, maybe that's embarrassing. I think they're grown up enough to think it's kind of funny. Mm. So I, I think it's okay. I was more worried about mum. Like there's yeah. there's stuff in there. Yeah. <laughs> I, this is a lovely story. I drove it up to mum. I wanted her to have the first copy out of the first box. She had the very first copy. Mm. I wrote something. I, I spent days, you know, writing this beautiful thing in the front cover that would be special to her. And I gave it to her and we cuddled and cried and she's so proud. Mm. I'm so proud and so proud. She said, I can't wait to show all my friends. I'm so proud of you. I can't wait to show all my friends. And then an hour later she sends me a text going, I can't show my friends this. (laughs) You're having sex in a paddle van. And I'm like, she said, I didn't know that. And I said, well, mum, I'm not going to tell you that stuff. (laughs) I'm going to come home from the beach and go, guess what I just did, mum. So, (laughs) so, you know, I think she's super proud, but I think she's also like, there's a, there's, it's growing up. Yeah, it's, it's puberty a, blues, right? right. Yeah, so yeah, I wanted yeah. to be open and honest and I wanted people to be able to attach themselves to that. Yeah. And I know my kids are old enough to go, you know, they're 23 yeah. and 28. Yeah. So they've probably had a, a, a pash around the rocks at Bondi. You know, mm. I'm not being... Mm. Yeah. yeah, they've been there themselves. Larry Emder, thank you so much for your time. And I've got to tell you, it's a great book. It's a great read. You're a fabulous storyteller. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me in. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of ebooks and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode, and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.